are tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Good morning, Info Warriors, soldiers of the Army of the Awakened. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here today speaking to you on this sacred network. You know, I was watching uh, Alex's War this weekend, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later this morning. Uh, but what a fabulous documentary uh, that was made about Alex Jones and the work that has been done on this network. I highly recommend it. And, you know, one of the interesting things that I noticed uh, was that there were there were some clips that I'd actually seen before of Alex when I believe he was 27 years old on September 12th of 2001, so the day after 9-11. And I just wanted to show you this next clip that was put together from some highlights of that episode, uh, which I had the pleasure of watching uh, and was reminded to include in the show today uh, when I saw Alex's War this weekend. So check out uh, this clip of Alex from it's September 12th. September 12th, 2001. I'm Alex Jones, your host. On 9-11, on 9-11 of September 2001, yesterday, as we do this show live, a mass bombing that I have predicted for the last five years occurred. They are going to now use terrorism as a pretext to destroy our civil liberties. I believe from all of the evidence before us that I'm about to cover, either the government actually carried out this bombing themselves, the New World Order occupational government, to create the crisis to offer the solution, or, ladies and gentlemen, they allowed terrorists somewhere in the world who were state-sponsored because of the sophistication of this to engage in this sinister activity. You are now going to see a massive response, a all-out covert war with assassinations of leaders in Middle Eastern nations, uh, special forces being unleashed globally. They need terrorism as a pretext to bring in the modern police state. They're telling you, give up your liberty for security. Now, I have Kissinger on tape saying this. Now, here's the question I have for you out there. How does giving up liberty for security safeguard is give me total power and don't question me and everything will be all right. This is why this helps the government. This is why they would want to do this, because it's about power, ladies and gentlemen. That's all it's ever been about. And they know exactly what they're doing. Isn't that just amazing uh, how prophetic Alex Jones uh, was? I think he was just 27 years old when that was when that was filmed, if I did the math correctly. And, um, you know, he's he's still uh, uh, just as prophetic as he ever has been. And he's really proven himself, I think, to uh, be an American hero over the uh, last couple of decades with with the content that he's created, the predictions that he's made and fighting the good fight despite all odds for the truth for America. And, you know, I think you know, it's interesting. I was thinking a little bit about censorship the other day, and it occurs to me that there's not really any need to censor a lie. Historically speaking, it seems like most censorship is, is primarily focused on censoring the truth, right? Whether, whether, it's, uh, whether it's fiction or, or, or actually historical, right? Because, of course, Nath, uh, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne said that uh, fiction is a lie that tells the truth, right? So we have examples of literature being censored, but usually it's because there's something about it that's true, that's offensive to the powers that be, the establishment, the elite. And, you know, I just think it's, I, I just think it's so telling uh, um, uh, 
everything that we're going through now and the censorship that we're seeing, uh, uh, it's really a testament to this this truth that is spreading because of Infowars and, and other influencers and other people in the space who, who are brave enough to proclaim it. And no matter how hard the establishment tries to shut it down, there's really nothing that they can do. The tighter they squeeze the truth, the more it slips through their fingers, so to speak. Um, and I'm really excited to uh, have this uh, uh, time with you this morning to have a great show. Next up, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about censorship and why big tech may be censoring us. Are they being pressured by the government to censor us? Is it just because of company culture within these big tech corporations that is uh, uh, pushing this censorship on Americans? Or is there something more sinister at work? So after this segment, we'll be right back and we're going to talk more about censorship. You're tuned in to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time to blow this thing, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Censorship, folks, ever since 2016, before that, really, but really in 2016, when President Trump was elected president of the United, Sp United States, despite all odds, despite all polls, that's when we saw the censorship really kick in. And of course, these platforms and these government officials claim that censorship is in order to prevent the incitement of violence or in order to protect the safety of a people, uh, whether it's to protect their feelings um, or their actual lives and property. Censorship is, is deemed necessary, but we really saw it kick in in 2016 after Trump was elected. And what's unclear is whether or not this censorship has been an effort of the political elite. Uh, ha have they actually been the instigators of, of this censorship? Or is this something that we're just seeing in these big tech, pla big tech platforms as a result of, of, of a woke company culture? Is it just the is it just the employees applying pressure on upper management to censor us? Let's take a look at this clip. Um, it's clip 13, uh, where I talk a little bit about censorship with the famous First Amendment attorney, Ron Coleman. But the idea that YouTube is getting into the business of deciding winners and losers in the medical treatment field just seems like such a bad for, you know, from from a general counsel point of view, and they have really smart people working for them, so they've been through this. That's the amazing thing. That's what I find fascinating is that these conversations have been and are taking have taken place and are taking place, and the decision was made to still go ahead and do this as as intuitively ridiculous as the decision seems from a legal point. So there's got to be some other risk that they're avoiding that is not immediately clear. Well put. So what pressure is being put on these platforms? Is it the actual government pressuring these platforms to censor? Is it something that they're doing out of fear of regulatory repercussion? This reminds me of in 2016, after the Trump election, there was all sorts of criticism of Facebook, particularly in association with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I'm not sure if you recall, but basically what happened was Cambridge Analytica uh, was accused of leaking sensitive information to Russia in particular, 
and that information was deemed used by nefarious actors to target uh, swing voters and uh, voters just in general, whether the Democrats uh, or Republicans, in order to manipulate them into either voting for Trump or staying home if they were so inclined to vote for Hillary. And you may recall that Mark Zuckerberg came to Congress to speak. I don't know if it was in front of the, the Senate or the House uh, that he spoke, but you know he wore a suit and he it was it must have been the Senate because I remember him saying Senator, Senator, Senator over and over again. He was trying to be abundantly polite, and it was very clear to me that this billionaire sort of tech influencer, just mogul, was intimidated by the threat of Congress. Right? He was abundantly polite on time, not defensive, as cooperative as as possible. And I was thinking to myself as I watched this, why is Zuckerberg? even there. I mean, he could just sort of say, hey, to hell with you guys. Facebook didn't do anything wrong. I'm not coming in. Or he could have had an attitude. He could have done anything. But he was so compliant and so willing to be as helpful as possible and so overwhelmingly polite that it really just sort of gave me the sense that he felt a tremendous amount of pressure. And we, we see this all the time from, from politicians, whether it's Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, that they're tweeting out and they're saying, you know, these big tech companies need to be split up or broken up or, 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 or hate speech needs to be regulated on these platforms. And every time that politicians do this, it applies pressure to these specific businesses, right? And so the government we know is obligated by the Constitution to protect our freedom of speech. We have the right to say what we want to say as long as we're not inciting violence um, or, or, or endangering the community, right? There's very specific things that one is not allowed to say, but other than those very specific things, the freedom of speech is protected in the United States. And so the government can't regulate our speech directly, but what they seem to be doing, what these politicians seem to be doing, what the political class seems to be doing is applying pressure directly to these big tech corporate institutions in order to outsource the violation of our First Amendment rights. So if the government can't do it, they might as well have these private businesses do it for them. And it seems clear to me, based on the Cambridge Analytica uh, information that we're seeing, all the censorship that we saw uh, over the course of the COVID pandemic, it seems abundantly clear to me that the government is guiding these institutions, these, these, these federal institutions that are supposed to represent us and protect our rights, these institutions are guiding these private entities in terms of how to form their policies around what the terms and conditions are, what the, what the safety policies are, what the speech policies are. And I think that we really, we really see this catalyzed starting in 2016. Of course, there was censorship before that, but it really took off in 2016 after Trump was elected and the leftists and the globalists couldn't handle it, frankly. And they started by lying and making up the Russian collusion hoax. And simultaneously, in conjunction with their lies in a fascist method, they censored the truth. Anyone who spoke the truth, any influencer that was deemed antagonistic to the globalist or political agenda, we saw one after one censored, deplatformed, removed, silenced. Some of them losing their businesses if they were relying on these platforms in order to drive traffic to their websites or, or their businesses. 
they censored them regardless. And frankly, we know that freedom of speech does not cause a danger to society because the internet was the wild west in 2011. You could say whatever you wanted 10 years ago on the internet and we didn't see an abundance of violence or hate or bigotry in those times. So this excuse that we hear from either these platforms or these politicians that it's, it's in the interest of public safety to censor this or that they're protecting the truth and, and, and protecting us from lies by enacting this censorship is, is really just baloney. Because if that were the case, then they, then they should have been doing it the whole time or we'd see a difference now in the, the amount of violence or hate crime or issues. We'd see a difference, uh, an improvement since they started doing the censorship, but we're not really seeing that at all. And what I want to do is just sort of emphasize this leftist fascism that we're seeing uh, with this one clip here, clip number nine, where we can see a similarity between the Biden administration uh, rhetoric and uh, a, a certain fascist party. You've been patient. Your patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. For those of you listening, that was uh, um, Goebbels saying basically the exact same thing that Biden said. I want to talk a little bit, though, before the next break about bodies, which is the perfect answer to whole body support. It's now back in stock at 25% off. It's used as a medicinal herb for thousands of years. Turmeric is one of the most studied ingredients known today. Paired with black pepper, bodies is turmeric supplement that takes advantage of the power of turmeric with over 95% of its active ingredients. Because turmeric contains some of the most powerful antioxidants, we decided to pair it with other powerful ingredients, including five different herbs and extracts for the ultimate boost for you and your family. With these ingredients, Bodies is a true 360 win that can help you with either joint support, mobility support, flexibility support, and inflammation support. Powerful ingredients inside your bottle of Bodies include turmeric root extract with 95% curcuminoids, Boswellia serrata extract, organic spearmint, sage, lemon balm, and thyme leaves. With piperine and curcuminoids, Bodies will help you take control of your body and feel the power of turmeric like never before. Don't wait until it's almost out of stock again. Support your immune system with the powerful ancient ingredient turmeric with Bodies at 25% off from InfoWars Life, InfoWarsStore.com. Check it out. Get a bottle. All right, folks. This segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Hunter Biden laptop. Now, I don't want to talk about the Hunter Biden laptop in order to tell you any breaking news or 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 share with you any outrageous video or piece of content that was recently found. I think that we're all familiar with the amount of corruption and the atrocities that are documented on that laptop to some degree. I spoke with the great Jack Maxey last year in September of 2021 about some of the details of the laptop content. Of course, I will share some clips with you this morning from that conversation. But the reason that I wanna talk about the Hunter Biden laptop is not in an effort to make a cheap shot at the Biden family or the Biden administration. This is not some one-off scandal that we're seeing 
with this Biden laptop situation. This is indicative of a greater problem. Now, we hear a lot of talk in the realm of conspiracy theories uh, about the military-industrial complex, right? We're always at war because of the military-industrial complex. People want to make money selling ammunition, selling tanks, developing new technology. These major corporations stand to make millions and billions of dollars every time we're in an armed conflict. Therefore, there is incentive among these companies to catalyze such conflicts. And we've seen it time and time again, basically since the end of World War II. Some would argue it started before that, but really since the end of World War II, we have seen the work of the military-industrial complex get the United States of America into countless unnecessary conflicts, some of which were catalyzed by black flag operations and not legitimate needs for American national security interests. But I think there's something a little bit more pervasive than the military-industrial complex. I actually think there is a greater complex under which the military-industrial complex resides. And I call it the political-industrial complex. Because as you know, our politicians don't actually make a substantial amount of money from the roles that they fill. Congress members don't make that much money being in Congress. Senators don't make that much money being in Congress. Frankly, the president of the United States only makes $400,000 a year. Of course, President Trump only took $1 a year of that salary. I, I'm sure Joe Biden is actually taking the full 400000 But you got to use that money, you know, for aneurysm operations and things of that nature. It's expensive out there, even for a Biden. But there's the political industrial complex, and this is how our politicians actually make their money. It is the corruption, it is the use of power in order to manipulate the value of their stock portfolios, which we've seen famously with the Nancy Pelosi stock portfolio tracker Twitter, which I believe was briefly censored. I think it's back now. But we really see the evidence of how this works within the context of the Hunter Biden laptop. Because the Hunter Biden laptop isn't just a slew of videos and images of underage girls or a slew of videos and images of Hunter using drugs or spending time with prostitutes, but it's actually indicative of the corruption and the abuse of the power of the office of the vice presidency primarily in order to gain financially, personally, for Hunter and Joe. So I want to show you a clip, and we're going to do a number of these. This is clip 20 coming up, where Jack Maxey told me a little bit about Hunter's corruption with a Romanian oligarch. Go ahead and play that. What happens is Hunter has a corrupt oligarch in Romania, a criminal. And the reason Hunter is friends with this guy and the reason Hunter has a business relationship with this guy, like very many of these criminals around the world, I believe it was the Chinese set it up. And this guy's gonna help grease the skids for the sale of the Ploeste oil fields in Romania. Very small oil field by today's standards. But if you remember World War II, Ploeste oil fields were the last source of oil, gasoline, etc., for the Nazi regime. More probably Army Air Corps men were killed bombing that airfield than were killed bombing Berlin. 
American air power operating from North Africa made a daring but costly attack upon the Romanian refineries. 75 years later, Hunter's trying to sell that to the communist Chinese, that blood-soaked soil of our patriots, of our grandfathers, to the communist Chinese. That was just one of many stories that Jack Maxey told me. And like I said, we will share more clips from that conversation in the next segment. But it goes to show the creative ways in which the political class can use their power in order to financially gain for themselves. Joe Biden, as vice president of the United States, was able to share a bank account with Hunter Biden, was able to leverage his position indirectly as vice president through Hunter in order to monetize it. He figured out a way to make more than just the salary of a vice president of the United States while he was vice president by pawning his son out to the world, to global interests, basically every interest except the interests of the United States of America. And by leveraging his son, he was able to create enough distance from himself and from these schemes as to not really be caught in an explicitly obvious way until Hunter left his laptop behind, famously. And of course, we were talking about censorship earlier, and we know that the media lied about the nature of the laptop, claiming that it was Russian disinformation, just as they claimed that the 2016 presidential election was illegitimate because it was Russian collusion. We know that they lied about it because they admitted that they were wrong about it. And they were informed, of course, by the official intelligence community. So the intelligence community was lying about it which means that they knew that this corruption was taking place. And instead of bringing this corruption to justice, instead of establishing justice for the citizens of the United States of America, they chose to allow this injustice to perpetuate. Even in the context of knowing that this criminal behavior extended beyond just the national security threat to the United States that it was, but into the realm of child abuse. Who is there left to fight for the innocent if our own government won't stand up for liberty? This is the last frontier, folks. There is no further west for us to go. This is the last beacon of freedom. And if we don't fix the corruption and the injustice that's happening within our own borders, then it may not manifest again until the ultimate manifestation of globalism is actualized. Collapse. So if we don't want to face a total collapse of the world and its governments and its civilizations and its people before we experience freedom again, then we have to find a way to fight for this country, to reawaken it, to share InfoWars with everyone you know, everyone you can, share band.video. Make sure you're spreading the word, spreading the truth, because the war is not over and the truth always comes out. Be on the right side of history, folks. Do the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. In the last segment, we were talking about Hunter Biden laptop and the political industrial complex. 
right? So not just the military-industrial complex, but the whole political-industrial complex. Those that make money off of their power, regardless of the industry that it's in. And I want to talk more about the Hunter laptop. And again, I want to emphasize the fact that this is not an effort to simply embarrass Hunter Biden or show the world how bad of a father Joe Biden must be having raised such an atrocious human being. This is not simple tabloid embarrassment stuff, but this is actual content from the laptop, evidence from the laptop that shows a deep seated, a deep rooted corruption. And we know this corruption is there because obviously the contents of the laptop prove that there was corruption going on. But we also know that the corruption extends beyond just the Biden administration because so many different parties were involved in this corruption. And the intelligence community knew about it and covered it up. And frankly, I wonder if Hunter is, is, is simply an informant at this point because there is no explanation other than total corruption as to why he, he isn't in prison. But I wanna talk a little bit about how the political industrial complex can abuse their power in order to financially gain personally. With this next clip, we're going to talk a little bit about exploiting global tragedy. We're going to do clip 18 on the Hunter Biden Haiti grift. Whenever you're ready, fire it up. There's not a grift that they wouldn't do. After the Haitian earthquake, I have emails sent from Rajiv Shah at USAID that are titled communications between the Secretary of State Clinton and the ambassador from Haiti. And it's so that Hunter and his grifty friends can get the fresh water contracts for a nation of dying, suffering people and make money. Let no tragedy go unnoticed, unexploited, right? So anytime anything happens that involves international contracts or federal contracts, there is an opportunity for the political class, the political elite, their friends and family to secure contracts for themselves. And this is not just a Democrat or a leftist issue. This is something that we see with, with the right as well. Basically anyone in the political class you can find that is that, that has been guilty of this throughout history time and time again. But we have the advantage with the Hunter Biden laptop of just having an overwhelming amount of evidence and details regarding this particular instance. And so I'm not actually even making the claim that the Biden administration is particularly more malicious than other members of our government, other representatives that we've elected or senators that we've given the responsibility of leading our country. But we know, based on this evidence, this evidence that we know to be true, the details of how deep-rooted this corruption is, has been, how long-standing it was over the course of years. With this next clip... I want to talk a little bit about how Joe Biden seems to have compromised the national security interests of the United States regarding China in clip number 16 to exploit his power as president, excuse me, vice president, and financially gain for his family. Check it out. Joe Biden has two functions that he's given by, by Barack Obama. Right, give some, give the uh, vice president something to do to keep him out of your hair. One, China. He was going to make sure that the Chinese kept the South China Sea lanes open for transit of any sort. Right, 
This is a 150-year aim of the United States Navy, declared aim. And all Biden has to do is go over there and convince them to stop building, uh, you know, these landfill islands in the middle of that sea lane, which essentially are aircraft carriers designed to put American children at the bottom of the sea. Biden fails. But two months later, Hunter gets a $1.5 billion deal to create a private equity fund with the communist Chinese with money from the Bank of China. So compromising the national security interests of the United States in order to secure multi-million dollar deals for his son, it really seems that there was some bad action going on there, some bad acting, some bad actors, some true, genuine corruption. These are the types of things that the January 6th committee should be investigating instead of January 6th. These congressional committees need to be set up in order to investigate Things like this, real corruption, right? Not just an excuse to make campaign snippets or propaganda against a former president of the United States, someone who's not even the president of the United States anymore. I don't even think that there was anti-Nixon propaganda made after he resigned from the presidency in the face of, of, of impeachment. So it's, it's just astounding to me how we have this abundance of evidence Basically proof. I mean, nothing's proven until a jury rules on it. But the evidence is so overwhelming, and it's astounding to me that this goes totally ignored, totally unnoticed. It's almost not even mentioned by Republican leaders. Some mention it. There are some who have spoken out against the corruption that is, is outlined in the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop. But for the most part, Republicans sat quietly, and we know that they had the laptop for an extended period of time before it leaked in full or the contents of Hunter's phone leaked in full on 4chan. I do want to show you another clip about the CCP and Burisma. Of course, Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma, which is a Ukrainian energy company. And we want to listen to Jack Maxey share with us. I think it's clip number 11. I can't read my own handwriting. But we want to listen to Jack Maxey share with us how he thinks the CCP might have been involved in getting Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma. My contention is that Hunter and his Devin Archer both got their jobs at Burisma at the behest of the communist Chinese. Because every time they were flying around the world at the, on behalf of the cover of Burisma, they were going to Kazakhstan to try and purchase oil fields for the communist Chinese. They were down in Mexico trying to buy uh, the offshore fields on the Yucatan for the communist Chinese. Remember that oil well that we saw, the gas was flaring up right out of the water. The same exact oil fields they were trying to buy for the communist Chinese. Right on our back doorstep, while Joe Biden was vice president, his son was trying to broker a deal to sell those to the communist Chinese. The objective was that they were going to take over those fields. Instead of flaring off the gas, they were going to capture the gas, pipe it to shore, build a pipeline across the isthmus of the Yucatan and build an LNG plant right on the Pacific coast of Mexico to service China. Why? Because China wants energy independence. They don't want the U.S. to have any control over their future. And Biden's done multiple things to make sure that happens. Even more menacing is the additional evidence that has come out regarding 
the corruption with Burisma. Now, it's been a minute since I've looked at the details, so I'm going to do the best I can to give you accurate information. You may want to take it with a grain of salt. But my understanding is that Rosemont Seneca, Hunter Biden's investment firm, was heavily invested in a bio research company called Metabiota. And Metabiota was actually involved in biolabs in Ukraine. And the interesting thing about that, based on the information that I've looked at that's leaked from the laptop, is that Zolchevsky, who was the chairman of the board of Burisma, was actually one of the largest investors in Metabiota. And Metabiota, I believe, received a 24 or $27 million Department of Defense contract while Joe Biden was vice president, of course, paying Zolchevsky, who was, of course, paying Hunter Biden. This is how the political industrial complex works. It's money laundering through government contracts back into the very pockets of the power holders, the decision makers who can sign off on these contracts, on this spending. We've got to shut it down, folks. We have to cut the political industrial complex off. We have to hold our politicians accountable and make sure that we have increased transparency. Call your senators, your reps, put pressure on corruption in D.C. You're listening to The American Journal with your guest host, Chase Geyser, host of One American Podcast. All right, folks. Talked about censorship today. Talked about the legacy of Alex Jones briefly at the beginning. And we talked about the Hunter Biden laptop, the corruption evidenced by it, and the difference between the political industrial complex and the military industrial complex, and how the greater problem is actually all the political corruption and not just that which is related to national security. Of course, national security corruption can be abundantly lucrative. But next, I want to talk a little bit about the reclassification of political opposition. Political opposition specifically to the left. The left has reclassified their political opposition as domestic terrorism. Of course, we've heard racist or bigoted or white supremacy, but now it's really extended beyond into the classification of domestic terrorism. I want to show you a clip, just the first 15 seconds of clip number eight, where this sort of first uh, broke in to the conversation in the national media narrative. Check it out. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. The white supremacy's terrorism has been deemed among the greatest threats to national security, certainly the greatest terrorist threat to the United States, despite the fact that we abruptly left Afghanistan, leaving behind millions upon millions of dollars of equipment, equipment that I don't know why they didn't give Ukraine since we're giving them all of our money now. 
Why didn't we just ship it from Afghanistan to Ukraine then? All that equipment that we left in the hands of terrorists. So white supremacy is a greater problem than that, apparently. White supremacy is a greater threat to national security than the globalist agenda, than the potential World War III catalyzed by NATO's behavior and Russia's aggression. It's a greater threat than the Chinese Communist Party, who's been responsible for tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of deaths since its inception. And why is it that Biden would make such a claim? It's not really a major issue. It's not something that the Democrats, or certainly not the Democrat voters, were imploring Biden to, to, to do, to say, to confess, to proclaim. What is the incentive? I think it may have to do with the fact that if you are classified as a terrorist, you don't have the same rights as a standard American citizen, as a, stat, a standard citizen of the United States. If you are guilty of terrorism or classified as a terrorist, you don't have the same Fourth Amendment rights, the same due process rights, the same privacy protections. Everything changes if you're not just a criminal, but a terrorist. So are we seeing the Department of Justice, the leftists, the leftist White House, the political industrial complex, the political class, redefine their political optimization as terrorist so they can wield the full power of the federal government, the military industrial complex, the intelligence community, and the Department of Justice against political optimization, uh, excuse me, against political opposition in an effort to weaken intimidate or frighten people away from supporting opponents of the leftist regime. Let's take a look at this clip of a conversation that I had with Colkin on domestic terrorism. I, I had a client, I had another client uh, who was uh, picked up right after 9-11. And uh, he was picked up with uh, in the Jacksonville airport with a taser and a flight manifest for the DC area and um, went to Embry-Riddle Flight School, which is the same flight school that the terrorists went to. Ooh, so a lot of red flags. And yeah, this guy disappeared. Yeah. They you don't know what happened him. to him? I never heard. Nope. Okay. Nope. So he may be dead, he may be alive, he could be a Gitmo, he could be, no, nobody knows? No idea. No idea. <sighs> he was in custody. In custody, and, and and we were his lawyer, and he was just and completed the immigration case, and then he was gone. So, do you think that the reason that they're trying to like classify Americans as domestic terrorists is so that they have just more leeway and just disappearing political dissidents? Of course. It's also so that, of course, because of what, this is what they do. They they say this is a domestic terrorist. So it destroys their life. The Department of Homeland Security just put up on their website that that right now they believe that speech that erodes confidence in the federal government is a is a terrorist activity. So that means that if you're exercising this conversation right here can make us domestic terrorists if, if it erodes confidence in the federal government. And I have been working with the, against the federal government for 25 years. And trust me, I ain't got any confidence in them. They can redefine terrorism so broadly 
as to be a label applicable to anyone. And then they can selectively apply that accusation to political opposition. And once that label is applied to a political opponent, it totally changes the nature of their rights and the way that they are treated in the judicial system to the point where Mr. Colkin here didn't even know what happened to his client after the initial case was over. Usually, you know, we have a right to a lawyer and our lawyer usually knows how things are going for us. But if you are deemed a domestic terrorist, you're not going to have any rights anymore. Your assets can be seized. You can be disappeared. We cannot allow the federal government to empower itself in this way. And it's subtle, but it's overwhelmingly saturated. The way that this corruption seeps and festers in our institutions. I haven't seen anything like it in the United States historically up until this point. I think that the, the political establishment was so off-put by an outsider in President Trump gaining power by this new populist movement holding politicians and the political class accountable for the first time in the only way they knew how, by voting for President Trump, the only candidate with the courage to actually proclaim a populist message, the only candidate with the courage to run for office with only risk to himself. I think he's one of perhaps two presidents in the history of the United States who's actually left office with a smaller net worth than when he entered it. And had we not had someone like Trump run, I can't imagine how corrupt things would be today, how much worse things would be today. But we can't just rely on Trump, regardless of whether you support him for 2024 or not. As populists, as patriots, as Americans, we have to establish the infrastructure to have a sustainable populist, pro-American, honest, working-class movement that does not lean on the charisma or the power of any one individual or any one leader, but can sustain throughout time. We need victory after victory in every election cycle for 20 years. This is a war, folks. It's called InfoWars for a reason. It's a war for the truth. And there are many battles within wars. You win some and you lose some. But if we want to win this war, we need to start winning battles over and over again, time after time. Next, I want to talk to you a little bit about Alex's war. I watched Alex's war this weekend. It was awesome. I highly recommend that you check out the documentary, Alex's War. Thanks to supporters like you, Alex's War is now opening in 20 cities and counting across the country. Really good for you to go out, buy a ticket, and see it in theaters. You can get it online, too. I watched it online. But if it's airing in a town that you're in or nearby, I highly recommend that you go and show support because the more people who buy tickets, the longer the film actually stays in these theaters, the longer it has placement and the more, more exposure that it's going to get to the general public. We want to encourage the general public to see Alex's War, to see this brand, to transcend all of the censorship. Screens are in Hollywood, Santa Monica, Waterloo, Addison, Illinois, O'Fallon, Illinois, Granville. 
Cape Gerardu, Missouri, Lake Ozark, Missouri, Elk River, Minnesota, Oakdale, Minnesota, and many more towns. Check out Alex's War. It's a very fair, great, entertaining, and enlightening documentary. You will love it as I did. Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. All right, folks. I'm going to talk a little bit about the gold standard and inflation. And ultimately, I'm going to try to tie this into the ultimate globalist, leftist, political class agenda for you, the American citizen. Famously, Nixon brought us off of the gold standard in the 70s. You can look up the clip of him explaining why he did that. The claim was that the removal of the gold standard was in an effort to combat speculators who were exploiting the situation and potentially harming the dollar. Of course, there are other theories as to why we really removed ourselves from the gold standard, namely the theory that we perhaps didn't actually have any gold anymore, given that we overspent on conflicts overseas, particularly Vietnam. And when other nations asked for their gold in exchange for the dollars they had, we knew that we could not fulfill those demands and so removed the dollar from the gold standard, thus rendering it a true fiat. And so I wanted to ask the most famous fan of Richard Nixon, what he thought about Nixon's de decision to bring us off of the gold standard here in clip 25. Let's hear what Mr. Roger Stone has to say about Nixon's decision. A lot of people are critical of Nixon for, for drawing us off the gold standard. What are your thoughts on the state of our currency and, and Nixon's involvement? Was it really his fault that we came off the gold standard or was he doing a necessary thing because we overspent in prior administrations? What are your thoughts on Nixon's role? Uh, I think that uh, taking us off the gold standard, closing the gold window is probably his single greatest mistake. You can blame former Texas governor and secretary of the treasury, John Connolly for that. Connolly is the one who convinced Trump, uh, pardon me, Trump, uh, convinced Nixon to do it. It was designed to deal with inflation. It was a horrific mistake. Nixon's presidency is certainly not without its blemishes. So it was interesting to hear Roger Stone share that, that um, polite and subtle, but explicit criticism of, of Nixon uh, with little prodding, just given that, you know, he's got a tattoo with a man on the back of his neck. But, you know, if you look at our problems and a lot of the problems that the left complain about today, for lack of a better term, a lot of the problems that are actually sort of their platform issues, things like wealth gaps, disparities among different racial minorities in income, education, standard of living, disparities among genders in terms of financial well-being, a lot of the problems that we're seeing today, insurmountable debt, student debt, employment, but underemployment, right? So, so people have jobs, but, you know, they might have a bachelor's degree and, and still be busting tables. These problems really kind of, they, they go back to bringing us off of the gold standard. Inflation is the reason that 
millennials have lived with their parents until they're almost 30. A lot of people think that it's a difference in the way that kids were raised, and there, there is some truth to that. But I honestly think that it's just because it's incredibly expensive for someone to live on their, uh, on their own. It takes longer to save up the money to make a down payment on a, payment on a house. Or young people are saddled with much more debt than they used to be. People didn't used to take out tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. You used to be able to pay for college with a minimum wage job, frankly. And while the left proclaims that everyone deserves a living wage, their policies and programs continue to perpetuate an inflation that makes a living wage impossible to earn, especially for a young person. So next up, we're gonna talk a little bit more about inflation and the implications that it's had on our society and how we might be able to combat it, to fix the problems that we're having in America, in our economy, to beat the globalists and their effort to buy us out. You're listening to The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Folks, we saw it in the 70s with the hyperinflation immediately following the separation of the dollar from the gold standard. And all sorts of things began to change at that time. We saw minority communities, which traditionally had successful nuclear families, right? These were people that were able to make ends meet, but very modestly. We saw them sort of fall apart and crumble. When inflation hits 10% or 15% or 20% and money becomes impossible to get because the interest rates are too high, the people who suffer first are working class Americans or those who are on the cusp of poverty, those who are middle class, but just barely middle class, those who are lower middle class, those are the most vulnerable, those are the ones who are hit first, the people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And when suddenly everything becomes 10% or 15% or 20% more expensive, but we don't see any increase in income, then families who are getting by now live in a status of desperation. This sort of financial pressure put on families leads to things like divorce, or instead of one parent having to work, both parents have to work, right? And when both parents have to work, there's less time spent with the kids. So there's a dependence on the public education system at a younger and younger age to take the kids. And we've really seen since the 70s, a generation of Americans raised by the state as a result of inflation. And when things get particularly desperate, people turn to crime. And I'm not condoning crime. An explanation is not an excuse. But if you have to choose between feeding your family and not feeding your family, things become very difficult in terms of what you are morally willing to tolerate and what behaviors you are willing to do in order to ensure the health and safety of your family. And as we see an increase in crime, we see an increase in incarceration. And as we see an increase in incarceration, we see an increase in juvenile crime. And then we see lower and lower graduation rates. 
lower and lower educational performance, which of course leads to lower and lower socioeconomic performance. And ultimately, if you reverse engineer the place that we are with the inflation that we've experienced really since the 70s, at both the fault of the Republicans and the Democrats, we can see that many of our discrepancies or disparities, our socioeconomic injustices, this inequity that the left claims is a, a product of racism, has actually been a product of bad economic policy. The very entitlements that are promised to protect the rights and lives of the most vulnerable among us only serve to increase the problem. Because in order to fund such entitlements, the government has to sell treasuries to the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve, in order to buy and loan this money to the government, has to print it. And every time they print it, it becomes more worthless. And so ironically, we have this situation in which the leftists proclaim publicly that they care about the minority communities among us, the most vulnerable among us, and that they are the party for the policies that can actually establish justice. And not just equality of opportunity for the most vulnerable among us, but equality of outcome now too. Of course, the irony being that these policies actually perpetuate the problem, which makes sense that the Democrats would do this because while on the face they can proclaim their own heroism for the vulnerable among us and establish more political power and political pull, they can simultaneously perpetuate the very problems that manifest as their platform. What incentive does any political party, particularly the leftists, the Democrats, what incentive does the Democratic Party have to actually solve the problems that it runs on? What happens when the platform is no longer relevant? We saw this with gay rights in the United States. The left, of course, advocated gay rights much earlier than anyone on the right, most on the right. There were libertarians on the right that, you know, we always advocated for gay rights. But once gay marriage was legalized nationally, the Supreme Court, I believe, ruled on it. 2011, 2012, you have to get my, I don't know my facts on that one. About 10 years ago. And once the court ruled on that, it was like, all right, now what? <laughs> and now we see this sort of radicalization of the left in that space. So since the platform for gay rights has become irrelevant. We've seen the advocacy for, for, for drag shows with kids, the advocacy for grooming and gender studies and in, 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 in this confusion for, for prepubescent kids and hormone therapies and pharmaceutical companies are making a killing now. We see the shift go more and more radical as these problems are solved. And so, frankly, we've seen that the more the Democrats do to actually address their platforms, the more problems they create for themselves because the more ridiculous their platform must then become. And so ultimately, we have seen the exploitation of inflation by the left because the more they spend, the more they appear to be needed by their base, which of course is a recursive problem, right? It's a downward spiral. The more they do, the more they're needed. The more they're needed, the more they do. 
until finally the dollar is worth nothing. And this income disparity between the wealthiest in America and the poorest in America is often used as a tool to criticize capitalism. The left says it is corporate greed or the greed of billionaires or the exploitation of the millionaire or billionaire class or the business class that has resulted in income discrepancies between the wealthiest and the poorest among us. But what they criticize is not really capitalism, but fascism. Capitalism does not catalyze such disparities, perhaps some, but not to this extent. What does is the political industrial complex. What does is the likes of Nancy Pelosi perpetuating inflation with her policies or with the bills that she signs or with the programs that she advocates while simultaneously investing in stocks with insider knowledge or having her husband do so in order to grow her portfolio greater than any honest investor or any normal working class American investor could possibly do without insider knowledge. What we see is as inflation gets worse and worse, as the dollar gets weaker and weaker, we see the stock market explode. Those who have enough money to put in the market make exorbitant gains, while those who only have enough to get by, to squeak by, to barely pay their rent or their mortgage or for their groceries or for their gas, they can't invest in the market. So they can't see the gains of this inflation. And so ultimately what we have happen is the poorest among us collapse. And when the collapse happens, the prices plummet. And when the prices plummet, the political class buys everything. Klaus Schwab famously said through the World Economic Forum that you will own nothing and be happy. He said that we'll rent everything that we need. Well, if we're renting it, then that means that someone owns it. So when he's saying you will own nothing and be happy, he's not saying we're all going to own nothing and be happy. He's saying you will own nothing and be happy and rent from me and my cronies because we will own everything. I want you guys to check out The Great Reset by Alex Jones. This book is on Amazon for pre-order right now. And there's two things that I want you to do for America. The first thing I want you to do is go to InfoWarsStore.com and I want you to buy a signed copy, a piece of history, so that you have something in your home that says that you are an InfoWarrior, that you are a soldier in the Army of the Awakened, that you did your part. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go on Amazon and I want you to pre-order a copy of it there too for friends and family because the more you order, the farther up the list it goes and the more exposure it gets so we can reawaken America and light a fire under every American's heart. Check it out. All right, folks. First, they censor you. Then they financially cripple you. Then they divide you. And they own you. So how does this all play out? How does this work as a strategy for the globalists? Well, we know throughout history that the more vulnerable a people are, the more susceptible they are to tyranny. The more susceptible they become to authoritarianism, despotism, exploitation. We saw this in the United States with the New Deal and FDR. A lot of people don't realize that 
the government actually seized all privately owned gold. I think it was in 1933. It was definitely under FDR during the Depression. The only gold you could keep was your wedding band, I believe. And of course, the Nazis came to power in Germany amidst a 30% unemployment rate. Desperation. Radical inflation. Where there were wheelbarrows and wheelbarrows of cash just to pay for a loaf of bread. People were using it, of course, as wallpaper and kindling for fire. So the more desperate people become financially, the more willing they are to sacrifice their rights in an effort to gain any relief that they can possibly get. The more desperate they become, the more they turn to the government or the state to provide relief, safety, solutions, programs, anything. And so what we're seeing here in the United States is we're seeing perpetual inflation. Sometimes it's much worse than others. Right now, it's extraordinary. Frankly, I think that it's on purpose because I can't imagine the level of incompetence that would be required to do it on accident. And frankly, coming to power in this country in the face of 350 million people is something that's very difficult to do. You have to have some competence or you have to be surrounded by people with competence in order to accomplish that to some degree. Now, getting elected and governing are two different things that require two different but somewhat overlapping skill sets. But I don't believe that someone with the competence to get elected to the Senate or to Congress or with the competence to get into the White House, whether by legitimate means or not, can be incompetent enough to allow this to happen on accident. So I really think that this inflation is intentional. Why is it that we would shut off the, the development of the Keystone Pipeline 12 months before a Russian invasion of Ukraine? Why is it that so many increased regulatory measures are being thrown upon farmers throughout Europe in the face of a Ukraine that can't efficiently export food to the extent that it does. I mean, it's been called Europe's breadbasket. Why, why would you make it harder to produce food or energy in the face of a food and energy crisis? Unless it's malice, right? And so as we see this desperation increase, we simultaneously see this onslaught of confusion and manipulation in terms of the narrative. So they financially cripple you, then they censor the truth, and then they perpetuate the lies. So I want to show you a clip, clip five, of the, the strategy that we're seeing to confuse and manipulate Americans. Check it out. You write, there are tens of millions of Americans who aren't on the hard left or the hard right who feel the world has gone mad. So in what ways has the world gone mad? Well, you know, when you have the chief reporter on the beat of COVID for the New York Times talking about how questioning or pursuing the question of the lab leak is racist, the world has gone mad. 
when you're not able to say out loud and in public that there are differences between men and women, the world has gone mad. When we're not allowed to acknowledge that rioting is rioting and it is bad, and that silence is not violence, but violence is violence, the world has gone mad. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing, the world has gone mad. When in the name of progress, young school children, as young as kindergarten, are being separated in public schools because of their race, and that is called progress rather than segregation, the world has gone mad. There mm. are dozens of examples that I could share with, with you and with and your you viewers. And you often say, you say everyone aloud. Everyone sort of knows this. And you say we're not allowed, we're not able. Between... Who's the people stopping the conversation? Who are they? Um, people that work at networks, <laughs> frankly, like the one I'm speaking on right now, who try and claim that you know, it was it was racist to investigate the lab leak theory. It was. But I mean, who let's said just that take at CNN? Example. But I'm just saying that when you say aloud, I just think it's a provocative thing you say. You say you say we're not allowed to talk about these things, but they're all over the internet. Well, what, I can Google them. Brian, I can find them everywhere. I've heard about every story you mentioned. So I'm just suggesting, of course, people are allowed to cover whatever they want to cover. But you and I both know, and it would be delusional to claim otherwise, that touching your finger to an increasing number of subjects that have been deemed third rail by the mm. mainstream institutions and increasingly by some of the tech companies will lead to reputational damage, perhaps you losing your job, um, your children sometimes being demonized as well. And so what happens is a kind of mm. internal self-censorship. This mm. is something that I saw over and over again when I was at the New York Times. So what we're seeing is the perpetuation of doublethink, doublespeak, whatever you want to call it, where you're being financially crippled and made as vulnerable as possible, and you're faced with explicit censorship, but not only explicit censorship, but censorship in conjunction with the perpetuation of a narrative that doesn't really make any logical sense at all, a conflicting narrative a narrative of contradiction, right? Where silence is violence, but violence isn't actually violence, like Barry said. And in the face of this financial vulnerability and this self-censorship catalyzed by a concerted effort at a propaganda narrative, we have a situation in which people are incredibly vulnerable and confused. And when one is vulnerable and confused, one becomes malleable. And this is the foundation of the next step, which is to, which is to divide Americans against one another. Let's take a look at this clip before break. Clip number 24 about division. What they want to do is divide us based on our immutable characteristics. And, you know, I've been told that I need to have a certain opinion because I'm black or mixed race or brown or whatever they want to label me as. But my whole point is, if we want to get to a point of diversity and inclusion and equality, these words that they throw around without actually having any meaning, if we want to get to a point of that, surely it shouldn't matter what color your skin is, you should have the diversity of thought and opinion. I have mostly conservative views. That should be acceptable. I shouldn't have to have left-wing liberal views 
just because my skin color is brown. Because to me, that is the racism. That is prescribing a, a, a politics and an opinion on someone based on how they look. <laughs> That's very old-fashioned racist thinking. But the hardcore left, the, the hard left, have taken the mentality of the far right, and they don't even realize it. In the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and why leftism always leads to globalism. Stay tuned. Check it out. American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we talked about how they are inflating you to financial vulnerability. They are censoring you to keep the truth hidden. And then they are lying and propagandizing you in order to confuse you make you malleable and now they are dividing you against one another they're trying to convince republican voters that all the problems in the united states are a result of democratic voters while simultaneously claiming or perpetuating the notion among democratic voters that all the problems in america are a result of republican voters thus dividing the two halves of the american working class against one another they are trying to perpetuate the notion that all the problems the white community face, faces don't even actually exist. They're trying to say that the white people don't have any problems at all, which, of course, embitters the white population in the United States. And then among the black population, they're trying to claim and manipulate that population to believing that all the problems that exist for them are a result of bigotry or racism or injustice or inequality. Everyone is being turned against everyone in this country when the real culprit for all of the problems in the United States is the political class, the political industrial complex, which is run by either those who are corrupt on the right or those who are corrupt on the left. What's really interesting about this is that leftism among the political industrial complex is really a more robust philosophy, right? Political corruption catalyzes leftism because leftism is the continuous increase in the size, scope, and power of the government in conjunction with the continuous reduction in the liberties of the individual. At the same time, there is a certain inevitability of leftism that not a lot of people are talking about because we are raised to think of America as a sovereign nation. We're raised to think of ourselves culturally as sovereign individuals. So we tend, as Americans, to think about our politicians and their policies as they affect us. But if you look at the long-term outcome of leftism, you can see that globalism is inevitable. There can be no perpetual leftism without globalism because Marxism, which is the foundation of leftism, and I use the term leftism on purpose because there's a difference between being a Democrat and a leftist. All leftists are Democrats, but not all Democrats are leftists, for example. But this Marxism 
is a system and a philosophy of exploitation. It's one that claims exploitation is the foundation of our problems, and it's a philosophy that uses exploitation in order to perpetuate its own power. It actually becomes the very thing that it criticizes. But this Marxism, if we look at it throughout history and its manifestation as communism, we see that globalism is inevitable because no Marxist system is self-sustaining. It is not a system that produces, but a system that takes or leeches or exploits, right? In the instance of the Soviet Union, we saw an inevitable collapse once expansion became impossible. In the instance of North Korea, we see that it leans on China like a drunk brother, and that China itself, which has established itself as exploiting the United States, has its eyes on Taiwan for further exploitation. Really, a capitalist society, an individualist society, is the only society that can be self-sustaining, and therefore, the only society or philosophy that is conducive to national sovereignty. Because you don't need to exploit any external sources, nations, individuals, resources, whatever, in a capitalist system. It is internally productive. Wealth and production grow within a capitalist system. But within a leftist system, there was continual inflation. There was continual expense. There is continual exploitation. There is lack of incentive. There's just as much greed in a leftist situation as there is in a capitalist situation. Milton Friedman famously said, do you think people aren't greedy in Russia? When he was asked about greed and capitalism. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that the reason the left is so anti-patriotic, so anti-American, so anti-national sovereignty is because they know that globalism is necessary to perpetuate the power of the political industrial complex, the political class, and that in order for leftism to work, they cannot simply consume the resources, the power, the wealth from within its own system. They have to expand. I mean, why else would the leftists advocate for such harsh environmental and climate change policies for American businesses or American manufacturing or American consumers? But yet we don't hear one criticism from the left about the plastic being dumped into the ocean by the Chinese Communist Party. When the leftists pollute, no problem. But when the capitalists do anything that could potentially kill the fly off the back of an elephant at the zoo, suddenly it requires an exorbitant amount of regulation to address. And so what we're seeing here is really the political class versus the American class. And because of the nature of Marxism and leftism, we are seeing a political class that is more and more leftist without empowering any sort of right-wing philosophy. And the more and more leftist the system becomes, the more and more globalist it then must become to the point where there will be a conglomeration of power in this country. There will be a conglomeration of power in this world. And ultimately, that's the goal, because the only thing that those in power are concerned with is either growing their power or maintaining their power. 
the only thing that keeps the political industrial complex, the political class up at night, is the thought of losing power, which is why they hated Trump so much. And the only way they can guarantee the sustainability of their position, their power, is by increasing the vulnerability of their people, the dependence of their people on them and the programs that they generate through the government. And the conglomeration of power so that it's virtually impossible for any outside force to come in and threaten the power that they have established. They advocate democracy time and time again. But I can think of no greater cause of tyranny than democracy. They empower the mob because they know that the mob will always vote for greater and greater government services. And they know that the greater government services become, the greater their power becomes, the more vulnerable and dependent the people become, which ensures the perpetuation of their status as political leaders, as the kings among us. They have not replaced God with the state, but they have become gods in their own minds. And the nature of God is omnipotence. So they seek ultimate power, never-ending power. The inevitable outcome of leftism is globalism. And the only way to fight it is to understand the importance of national sovereignty, to believe in your country above all others, to proclaim America first, America always. This is the populist movement. This is populist patriotism. This was the strength of the MAGA movement. It was the power behind Trump and his campaign and his presidency. But never forget, the only path, your self-actualization, your freedom, your happiness, your prosperity, is national sovereignty, American sovereignty. Don't let the leftists sneak into global power. Fight the good fight. We come back next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about what you can do in the war. can do win the info war to win the war really just for the country and I spent a lot of time thinking about this and for a long time I wanted to be a voice that could persuade the other side to switch to change I naively believed that it was possible to sit down and have a rational conversation with Democrats or with the left and upon airing all grievances, explaining all points, backing up all facts or claims, any reasonable person would, of course, come over to the right side. Any reasonable person would abandon leftism for populism or patriotism or individualism. Any reasonable person would leave the left for the right or the libertarian side. Any reasonable person would choose America first, would choose individuals first. But what has been proven time and time again is that no matter how brilliant a person is, no, no matter how good-intentioned a person is, human beings are not geared to change 
their minds by external persuasion. Everyone's changed their mind. I've had my mind changed throughout my life on a number of pivotal issues, whether it's religious beliefs or political beliefs or what I want to do with my career or who I wanted to be in a relationship with. But every time that my mind has been changed in a fundamental, meaningful way, it's always come from external experiences and internal reflection, not external persuasion, but life experience on the outside, and internal speculation or introspection. And so when we think about that fact of human nature in the context of the info war or the war for America or the army of the awakened in the context of this battle versus individuals versus globalists, individualism versus globalism, national sovereignty versus globalism, the American class versus the political class. Rather than endeavoring to change the minds of opposition, we should focus our time, our efforts, our energy on empowering those programs, systems, people, institutions that rally the base. We need to inspire those among us who are on our side, who are on the side of America, but know not what to do or feel hopeless. Because we can convince a hopeless person that there is hope, but we cannot convince a leftist that individual sovereignty is a superior philosophy, is a more just philosophy. Rather than winning the logical argument in vain, we have to win the hearts and the minds and inspire the base. I want to show you a clip from a conversation I had with Steve Bannon. This is clip three, supposed to be in the last segment, where he tells me a little bit about his thoughts on changing minds. But I would like to be the, the type of, of, of voice that can change minds, not just, not just rally the base. And it seems to be almost impossible to do. I think when you say change minds, I don't think you can talk it through. I think yeah. you have to show people the evidence. It's a difference between, it's one of the things I try to do at Breitbart, and I try to do in the war room. It's a difference between opinion and actually news. Over time, facts, their lived experience, you want to change people's minds, make sure you get them the information they need for their own lived experience. Yeah. Who's going to change people's mind is the people themselves. Nobody's going to talk, you're not going to talk people into, you're not going to argue this through. It's not about argument. It's not about debate. We're not going to, this is not a debating society. When I started my podcast just a little over a year ago, it was something that I did sort of out of a desperate place, a desperate hopelessness. I felt as one American that my vote, which may or may not even be counted properly, was not enough. I was not satisfied with being one of 160 million people to just leave my fate and the fate of this country in the hands of the political class and only spend an hour in line a year or every two years or every four years casting a vote. And so I asked myself, what can I do? And I still ask myself that question every day because I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing enough. I, wish I, could, I, I just wish I could do more. I wish there was some sort of leader, some guidance as to what needs to be done 
some orders that I could follow or, or just, just, I wish there was a clear blueprint for, for how to save America, right? How to save America one-on-one. And so I started this podcast, One American Podcast. And I started building my Twitter following at Real Chase Geyser. And I started having guests on, influencers that I agreed with, people who believe in America, regardless of whether they're even Americans. Many of my guests have been from overseas. And that is going to be my continued effort in places like InfoWars or my podcast. My continued effort is going to be to rally the base, not to persuade the opposition, but to empower the Americans with even the smallest ounce of America in their hearts. And that's why it's really important for you as a listener. Not everybody can start a podcast. Not everybody has the time or the money to start a political action committee or develop following or influencers or to learn how to edit videos or to make memes. But it's important for you to find something even small, something you can contribute. You know, I like the parable. It's not even a parable. It's just a story uh, of the... Um, Poor person, the poor, I think it was a poor woman who gave a penny at the temple in front of Jesus. And he said that she gave more than the wealthy man because she gave all she had. Not about how much you give, it's about how much of yourself you give. And so I want to show you this next clip that may inspire you because it inspired me when it happened. This is clip four of what Bannon told me about how individual Americans can make a difference. Check it out. How can individual Americans, how can I, Chase Geyser, actually feel like I can make an impact and, and change You're making this? an impact right now. Everybody can get engaged, everybody can get involved. And, and, and people say, they go, oh, if, you know, if, if I was in the revolution, I'd be at Saratoga and I would be at Valley Forge, or if it was a civil war, I'd be right there at the wall at Gettysburg, or World War II, I'd be stirring the beaches of Normandy. Well, hold it, you can be that. Look at you, you start a show with absolutely nothing and you have thousands and thousands of listeners and you have force multipliers that send your content out. The reason I saw or even know who you are is that I was, somebody in my feed started sending me clips of your show and I said, this is an interesting guy. So everybody can do that. You not just have a podcast, you can get engaged, you can become a school or taking over school boards, we're taking over canvassing boards, we're taking over election boards, uh, we're taking over medical boards now. People are running that never even thought about it for town councils and county commissioners and state be state representatives now is the age of engagement we're building an army of the awakened now is the age of engagement we're building an army of the awakened and like i said it's not about how much you give it's about how much you give of yourself we talked today about inflation which is financially crippling americans basically dissolving the middle class we talked about censorship, which is science, silencing the truth and inspiring fear in the hearts of people who know the truth because those who dare to speak it seem to be met with nothing but cruel opposition. We went from economic hardship and inflation to censorship to the division that we see being catalyzed by leftists among Americans in an effort to empower leftist political class to a globalist ultimatum. And so if you're sick of 
prices constantly going up at a greater pace than your income or your retirement, then consider going to InfoWarsStore.com and buying the Great Reset or just contributing $1, $5, $10, whatever you can. We give a little bit every month, my wife and I. If you're sick of being lied to and being censored, go to InfoWarsStore.com. If you're sick of being pitted against your neighbor and your neighbor being pitted against you, go to InfoWarsStore.com. If you're sick of the political class coming after you, your family, your wealth, and your future, go to InfoWarsStore.com. If you're sick of globalists telling you that you will own nothing and be happy, go to InfoWarsStore.com. Give what you can of yourself. Let's win the war for America. Thank you. Joe Biden fall off his cycle. Joe Biden died in National Naval Medical Center. I could spend the next hour on an 11-minute speech Biden put out from the White House officially. People thought it was a deep fake, and they went and checked it. No, it's on the White House website. Completely insane. In 11 minutes, he blinks six times. Let me close with this. Every day, we rely on law enforcement to save lives. Then on January 6th, we relied on law enforcement to save our democracy. We saw what happened. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes, speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized, and lives were lost. And for three hours, the defeated former president of the United States watched it all happen as he sat in the comfort of the private dining room next to the Oval Office. While he was doing that, brave law enforcement officer subject to the medieval hell for three hours, dripping in blood, surrounded by carnage. Face to face with crazed mob that believed the lies of a defeated president. The police were heroes that day. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. I mean, he looks like an animatronic robot at Chuck E. Cheese or something. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this looks like the intro to a horror movie or something where body snatchers have taken over. happens in human civilization it normally collapses civilization for at least a time when the good people let crazies get in charge why is the biden administration building a border wall in arizona so um we are not uh we're not finishing the wall uh we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh left behind in their in their failed attempt uh to build a wall the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price price of gas the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles we let them be in control mr biden are you still groping senator's children creepy joe biden and they always start assaulting reality and assaulting common sense and assaulting due process and assaulting logic and people keep acquiescing until everything disintegrates. 
This is the first time in American history, I believe, that a chamber of the Congress will pass a bill openly defying the Supreme Court's explicit declaration of the constitutional rights of the American people. It represents the farthest ever reach of the Democrats' long-pursued massive resistance doctrine. In markup, I asked if any Democrat disputed that this bill bans guns and magazines in common use. Chairman Nadler candidly responded, quote, Would the gentleman yield? I would if, the, if I for an answer to that question. Yeah, that's the point of the bill. So, so you mean you, so to clarify, Mr. Chairman, you're saying it is the point of the bill to ban weapons that are in common use in the United States today? Yes, the problem is uh, that we In other words, the essence of the bill is to stop commerce in weapons, as alternatively described by the court in Heller in 2008, as those, quote, typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, close quote. And that is now the point we've entered at every level. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. Folks, as we fight inflation, bringing down gas prices is a big part of the job. It's All right, I wanted to play some of the 11-minute speech so you can see he's not blinking, and then another speech later where he is. I mean, if you can figure out what this is, please tell me. Um, we've reached out to some physiologists and people that can perhaps uh, tell us what in the world this means, but it, it's getting crazy. special guest with us today, Gavin McInnes. Gavin, how is that New York tap treating you? That New York what? Tap. What's the New York tap? Tap water, man. I heard it was all the rage. Oh, it's the champagne of tap water. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd have to, I, I need to come up there and taste it. I hear up there the oh, tap okay. flows That's like wine. <laughs> if you use bottled water in New York City, you have a low IQ. And I feel sorry for you. You know, that was the, the result of some brazen entrepreneurs back when New York City was just a diarrhea convention. And they said, let's build a small, almost like an aqueduct, all the way from like Fresh Kills, which is hours from here, all the way down to New York City and totally changed the city forever. Saved millions of lives. Brilliant entrepreneurs. Free market. I love it, man. So I've been talking a lot about censorship this morning on this, uh, on this segment. Uh, and obviously I'm a huge fan of your network. Uh, I've been a subscriber for some time. I watch all the time. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came up with the name and how censorship impacted you. You know, I just learned this this morning. Uh, I had a subscriber who goes to the website every day. He doesn't watch it on the app and it used to autofill. It stopped autofilling now. And when he looks at his recent sites, it's not there. So Google is now censoring the autofill of censored.tv. But we were originally freespeech.tv. Uh, there's someone who has a trademark on not that URL, but that term. 
So they were they were about to sue us into oblivion. So we changed the name to censor.tv. I wasn't that thrilled about it because it's not as sexy as free speech, but that word has become an integral part of almost every news story every day. Like the front page of the New York Post the other day said censored because they had this, uh, I call it the meandering, the January 6th uh, interview they did was was pulled from, from uh, Google and YouTube. Uh, and it's, it's gone, it's gone from people should have the right to free speech. And I know this is going to sound like the same thing, uh, but it's, it's drifted from that to people are getting censored and it's getting encouraged. I mean, we, we've already lost our free speech. Now it's all about punishing those who talk. Like I just heard Joy Behar on the view say, why isn't the ACLU suing Trump for hate speech? What? What's the crime? She has no idea. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe anybody even watches The View. And I, I like, it's like the January 6th committee, like with such low ratings. How do you get away with being on network television? I, I think it's a psyop to try to stop women from voting, from getting the right to vote, because <laughs> it is a daily reminder that women suck at political opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the anti-women suffrage movement. It's like the yeah, man, it's, you remember that famous episode of the man show like back in the 90s where they had that kid saying and women's suffrage and he had like pictures of women suffering up and people were, women were signing the petition. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, it's it's like Ann Coulter always says women should have the right to vote, but they shouldn't vote. Oh man, that's <laughs> that's hilarious. The last time I spoke with you, I think you were uh, working on a book. Are you still working on it? Yep, still plugging away. Yeah, I how's mean, it's, it coming? It's it's a great time to be doing a daily show uh, because there's so much happening every day. We really are in a, a massive cultural civil war right now. And I think both sides are disagreeing more than the real civil war. Um, but writing a book is insane. It's like writing a book about World War II in 1943. You, you got to keep rebooting it mm. because things change so drastically. I mean, who would have thought that Joe Biggs would be the most wanted man in America as far as political persecution goes. The government is spending millions upon millions of dollars with the best lawyers in the country to make sure that this guy who wandered into the Capitol and went pee in the bathroom and then left immediately after a cop said, can you go? And he went, okay, bye. This guy's got two purple hearts. The VA has pulled their, uh, whatever you call it, their support. He's no longer getting benefits from them. It's, it's a mad time, it really is. Yeah, it's crazy. I, uh, I tweeted something um, a couple of weeks ago, and it, just, it seems like everybody has been swatted except for Hunter Biden. <laughs> yeah. It's well, like- <laughs> you know, that, even that's crazy. Like, if you look up the way that the left talks about Trump and Don Jr., one of their big accusations is that they're cokeheads. And they'll talk about how Trump was sniffing or something. I don't think they get cocaine, by the way. If you do a bump of coke, you go up and down for about, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of thing that sustains you for 20 hours, which is the kind of hours Trump was putting in. Unless unless you're Scarface and a mound is sitting in front of you. And then they also are obsessed with Don Trump Jr. and his brutal cocaine problem because he's always doing coke. And you're like... I've never heard of him doing coke. I've never seen any evidence of this. But you may want to check in with the president's son, who not only was he a corrupt 
criminal miscreant pervert who may have been a pedophile, by the way. He was also heavily involved with political affairs using Joe's influence. I mean, the way that they can focus on Trump making a pussy joke while we have easily the worst president in the history of possibly the Western world. Like, I don't want to just put Joe Biden on America. Has there been a worse leader? Angela Merkel, I think she's better than Biden. I, I can't think of one. Yeah. Well, I the way I think about it, and this, this occurred to me, I don't know, about a year ago, I was just sort of amazed myself at this notion. I would be a terrible president. I know that about myself. I don't have the right <laughs> skills. I don't have the right knowledge. I don't have the right attention to de detail, no leadership experience, no military experience. Smart guy. But I would not be a good president. However... I would be a much better president than Joe Biden, and that is terrifying. I never want a president who I feel like I could do a better job, just as a regular American guy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think a lot of presidents, uh, the best president is the least president, in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I always said, I want to get a Japanese guy who doesn't speak English and just teach him the word no. <laughs> and then every time they come in with a bill or more spending, he just like, no, no, <laughs> and refuses to sign. I mean, that's what Reagan was in many ways. He was no intellectual, Ronald Reagan, but he recognized that the free market does a better job. And I honestly think it's biblical. I think that the closer you are to God, the more you are to the free market. And the farther away you are from God, the more you, you play God, right? What does Stalin do? He said, I'm going to decide who eats. And everyone starved. God doesn't like it when you, you decide how other people behave. And if you look at the most successful societies, it's the ones where the government got out the most. Yeah, well, and I think so there's a, a great president if you just sat on your ass. Absolutely, and and I think there's um, you know, there's this there's this whole trend that's been happening for like a hundred years where the left has become more and more faithless, right? They're, there's they've sort yeah. of given up on God, abandoned God, don't believe in God, they're atheists, whatever. And I think that you know, as human beings, we have a need for God. It's built in, and when we stop believing in God, we have to replace that with something, and they just replace it with the state. Yep, and they're religious about it. And that's why, you know, if you told someone, if you told a, an evangelical Christian something bad about the church, they would deny it, and they'd say something bad about you because it's their faith. They have faith in it. They don't want to change it. And I don't have a problem with that, per se, because we're talking about the guy who created the universe. But when you talk to these people and you say, you know, Hunter Biden's a crackhead or something. They deny it. It's Russian propaganda. They cannot be shaken. And I love that I hypocrite Twitter feed where it'll be something like, stop ragging on Joe Biden because of bad gas prices. The, the president doesn't control the gas. And then, uh, you know, a few months later, I just paid three eighty nine for gas. Thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> they, they constantly contradict themselves because this is their faith. You go, I got a better faith. Christianity. Give it a world. You know, the other thing I like, too, about these atheists is they're constantly baffled by the world. Like, they'll go, wait a minute. Civilization, you see this on Joe Rogan all the time. Like, civilization is a fraction of the history of the Earth and a, a much smaller fraction of the history of the universe. And we're the first civilization? It doesn't make any sense. There must have been other civilizations, but then they would have left a, a message for us. And you're like, yeah, you guys are rediscovering God. All right, we'll do more on that in the next segment. Stay tuned.
Well, speaking of God, who is going to be the leftist messiah in 2024? Nightmares that it would be Michelle Obama, because I think the Obamas are still president right now. Uh, but word on the street is they're going to run Gavin Newsom. Why else would he run out in Florida? Globalist nephew. Can you believe that? I can't tell you how many times the left will do something and I'll just go. Like, I never would have guessed Gavin Newsom. He, to me, he's Andrew Cuomo. He's, he's been shamed. He's been ridiculed. His career is over. He almost got recalled. Look at the state of San Francisco, Los Angeles. The lockdowns were brutal. He was a total hypocrite. I mean, it's, it'd be like Bill de Blasio running. Yeah. I moved out of California because of Gavin Newsom. I only lived there because my wife and her family lived there. My wife wanted to be close to her family. And Gavin Newsom was enough for both of us. Even my wife was like, all right, let's go to Texas. And that's why we moved here. California, like, of all the places. I mean, we're talking about DeSantis because he kicks so much ass in Florida. That's logical. But they always pick, pick these losers like Pete Buttigieg, the town he was a mayor of. He ran it into the ground. <laughs> and then they go, you get a reward for that. They went to Blasio. Remember, he ran for president. Then he tried to run for governor. It's crazy. They, they, they don't, I think it's because they don't talk to anyone but the sycophants that surround them, and they don't know how hated they are. Yeah. Well, I saw 2,000 mules, and as compelling as that was, perhaps the greatest argument that the elections are stolen is the, uh, the persistent, terrible choice of candidate the Democrats seem to have without any care for votes. <laughs> yeah. Like... It, and I always said that, too. I go, who the hell are they going to run? Like Eric Swalwell, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. You look at their, too young. Their, their entire, yeah, right. The, you look at their entire roster and you go, it's nothing but losers. I, I, this is going to make you angry, but I think Bernie Sanders is one of their best guys. And I effing hate him. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, he, but he's so old, man. And, you know, I, I. It would be very difficult for me not to vote for Trump just because I'm, I'm so endeared to the whole brand and how everyone I hate hates him so much. But he's yeah. going to be 78, man. And like that was one of my main criticisms of Joe Biden was like, I don't want a president who's 82 at the end of the next term. And that's what I'm concerned about with Trump. Like, I know he's sharp, but I don't want somebody in their 80s running the country. Yeah, but I mean, Joe Biden was not sharp when he was VP. Remember, Obama would make fun of him all the time and talk about Bidenisms, and I think he said in an interview that you can never underestimate how much Joe can fuck something up, excuse my language. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, Reagan, hit towards the end there in his last term, he's falling asleep in board meetings. We could lose him, but I don't really care, to be honest. I just want a Republican to win, and I'm feeling really optimistic about 2024 because you tried it. You know what I mean? It's like when you're eight years old and you say, I'm running away. I hate it here. And you pack a suitcase with a teddy bear yeah, and, and a jelly bean hours. sandwich. <laughs> and then you're out there in the woods and you're lonely and hungry and freezing and you miss your, your house and uh, you're back. So this is what happened. An eight-year-old ran away with the country and we said, see, jelly bean sandwiches are gross, aren't they? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Unless they don't. Are they happy? Like, is it, I want to meet someone who's happy with the way things are going. I think everybody's embarrassed about Biden 
but I don't think that they're as embarrassed about Biden as they hated Trump. You know what I mean? Like nobody voted yes. for Biden. They just voted against Trump. And, and so that's the real question, I think, for what's going to happen in 24. And, and what is their beef? I think their beef with Trump is that his attitude is not shame. His attitude is pride mm -hmm. and he likes jet skis and beer and boobs and Friday nights and joking with the guys. And I think since the 80s, post Reagan, the, the, the wimp committee, we were under the tyranny of the nerds and the losers and the fat chicks. And they taught us to sh be ashamed of ourselves. And Obama was really good at this, teaching America that it's racist and sexist. And Michelle and Oprah on stage saying men need to do better, be better, be better. And they they loved it because they hadn't had power since the beginning of time. Yeah. Well, and I think that... <laughs> and, oh, go ahead. And so they got drunk with power. And, you know, the patriarchy has been doing power for a long time. We can handle it. And they are not good at it. So they oppressed people. And they that's why you're seeing so much censorship. And that's why you're seeing women's sports get ruined. Because these people start acting like Uday Hussein. And what happened to Uday Hussein? He is no longer around. I'm not saying kill Joe Biden, please, FBI. Um, but, you know, th these kind of lunatics drunk with power don't last very long. And I think we've finally come to the end of this epoch of shame. Well, the really interesting thing to me about watching the left's inner reaction to Trump over the course of his presidency, particularly the first three years when everything was normal, is the better he seemed to be doing, the more bitter the left became. So rather than having a, oh, great, you know, we have the lowest unemployment in these minority communities than we ever had in recorded history, like, that's great. Like, we can see that that's a good thing. They hated that he was doing a good job for the communities that their platforms, you know, espoused to support and help and relieve. So that was really kind of what woke me up to the left's anti-Americanness, because I know that I, as a voter, I don't know, you know, I can't speak for the Republican Party or the establishment, but I, as a voter, you know, if there was a Democrat who was doing a great job, I would be glad to see that. You know, I could swallow my pride and be like, you know what? I didn't agree with him. I didn't vote for him, but I'm so glad that things are going well. But the left oh, yeah. did we, not have that reaction. We do that all the time. When I saw the way Bill Clinton was spending, I thought, thank God. I love this guy. I don't care who he bones with a cigar. I like guys who are fiscally conservative. And especially when compared to George W. Bush and, and Obama, uh, I was impressed with Bill Clinton. Uh, conversely, George W. Bush was a catastrophe. He speaks English a little bit better than Joe Biden. He's a neocon, you know, massive foreign wars and the spending was alarming. Nothing compared to Obama, of course. But um, I, I hated him. I don't really care what party there is. Although these days, there's there's no more, uh, there no, no one is near the center. Back with George W. and Clinton, they were semi-centrist. Now it's AOC or David Duke. There seems to be no in between. <coughs> But, um, yeah, all we really care about is, is less government. That's, that's all we want, and that's what I'm going to vote for. Yeah, I just hope those options are on the table because, you know, one of my concerns about 2022 this fall is that, you know, the, the Republicans sweep and then nothing changes, right? Because Republicans have a, have a tendency to spend a lot of money too and do things that I disagree with as well. I consider myself very right-wing, very populist, very pro-America, very capitalist, very individualist, very pro-liberty. But 
you know, I, time and time again, I seem to be disappointed with Republicans too. So I really hope that they live up to the expectations of the voters. Yeah, I'm. I think we're weeding out the rhinos. Mm -hmm. I think the Jan Six committee really, uh, like Liz Cheney's going to be gone soon. Uh, I think we we got to see who the the wimps are, the ones we can't trust, the backstabbers. So we're going to be stuck with real paleoconservatives, uh, Pat Buchanan type of American nationalists, Christian nationalists, as Marjorie Taylor Greene's talking about. If if we don't have a landslide uh, in the midterms, then someone's cheating. Yeah. And if someone's cheating... segment you were bringing up how we are weeding out the rhinos for 2022 and you mentioned zimbabwe but i think you got cut off well i was just saying the only way we could lose in the midterms is if they cheat and the only way we can lose in 2024 uh, is if they cheat and they may cheat and that really scares me because a democracy is defined by fair elections if we don't have fair elections i think about it i mean that's what a dictatorship is that's mugabe that's Zimbabwe, that's Venezuela, that's North Korea. We're done. As a nation, we're done. And, and if we don't have borders, we're done. I mean, what defines a country? A country's defined by the people deciding who leads them and the borders that surround them. And the DNC is at war with both of those things. And the thing that drives me nuts about these radicals is they don't have anything to replace it. They just want to burn the house down. They don't want to take off the aluminum siding and replace it with something they think would be better for the house. They just want to destroy it. Antifa and AOC, they have the same kind of philosophy. Yeah, that's one of the unique things about um, the American Revolution, I think, is that when we decided to declare independence, there was at least some semblance of how things were going to look after, right? We didn't have the Constitution yet. We didn't have the Articles of Confederation yet, but we had the Continental Congress and we had enough consensus that we knew who was going to kind of put the pieces back together after everything was resolved, right? And that's kind of rare for any yeah. sort of revolution. Yeah, it's very rare. I mean, you think of Iran, they they said we want to get rid of uh, whatever the Shah, I forget, and a bunch of radical Muslims just moved in and took over. That wasn't the plan originally. These guys were like academic intellectuals. Or when France or the storming of the Bastille, that was just like, kill the queen she's a bitch they had no idea what to do afterwards but um <clears throat> the american revolution literally had a plan I, that's why again i say bernie's better than all these losers because he's he'll at least slowly ruin the country by turning it into a socialist hellhole like uh the worst of britain and canada combined these other radicals they just want no gender no borders no identity no language no country and I think it's a, a deep-seated psychological problem that's linked to daddy issues. I really do. I think the hatred for Trump is a hatred for dada. And we're all being punished for, I don't know, some, some arguably bad guy who divorced his wife and caused all this hatred. Like the hatred against the patriarchy and Trump is really daddy issues. We're living in an era of daddy issues. And they want revenge on us dads. And they're willing to burn down the country to get it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it like that. I guess all the more reason to be a good father 
uh, so that you don't perpetuate the problem. I do want to talk about um, an awesome picture I saw of you on Getter with a new suit that you had made. I think they're going to pull it up. Tell me a little bit about this this uh, this suit and this uh, the inspiration behind having it made. Oh, it's it's inspired by an old picture of Jesse James and his brother. I think his name was Frank. Career criminals, bandits. But I just love the way back then everyone had a suit on, and they they seem better quality somehow. And I noticed that the lapels are really high up. And I said to our tailors, these guys need a fashions in Hong Kong. Sorry, I'm not supporting local business. It's impossible to find American tailors these days. But um, hey, better Hong Kong than picture. Ukraine. Yeah, I sent them the picture. I said, can you make me this? I like the way Jesse James looked. And a couple months later, it arrived in FedEx, and I, I love it. It makes And it's weird. When you put it on, you feel like this weird intellectual revolutionary who people should be very scared of, which I might be. Maybe it's, it's, it discovers your inner soul. It's crazy how um, – I didn't really notice this until I was in college, but it's, it's crazy how what you're wearing can change – how you feel. I mean, they even say that about like working from home, like don't just sit in your pajamas. Right. And Bill Burr's got a great bit about that. He's like, any job you can do in your pajamas is not a hard job. Right. He's got a great segment about yeah. that that I love uh, from one of his older specials. And so, yeah, that's and maybe there's a correlation between the way in which we now dress in America versus the way they dress, say in Mad Men and why they were so much cooler. Right. And just better and more responsible and smarter and more industrious Maybe maybe this boils down to the way we dress. It's not just daddy issues, but it's just bad clothes. I mean, look at them. Look at these kids. They wear slides or Birkenstocks. When we were young, Birkenstocks were for the farthest out there loserist hippies. Now, like jocks and frat boys wear them. It breaks my heart in two. Or and and they'll wear. Kids will wear slides to the park, and then they'll want to play. You can't run around in slides, so they'll run around their socks. They got these green. The bottom of their feet are green. Because they can't wear their slides. I'm like, we've uninvented shoes. And you see these lazy sluts with their, well, the black chicks wear the bathing caps and they'll have pajamas on with Crocs. And you just go, are you under house arrest? Like, what are you wearing? You loser. When you wear a suit, it's a way to revere the people you're with. Like, I yeah. go, people are spending money to, 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 to watch censor.tv. So I want to show them that I'm not just rolling out of bed. I, I want to be reverent to them. And that translates to the whole business world. When you wear a tie, you got to keep your neck up and you have to, you have to present yourself a certain way. It's, and I, it's funny. The black woman recently, I saw this, we talked about it on the show, but they were all complaining about how they can't have certain crazy hairdos and they can't have dreads hanging down. Like they're in Rastafarian uh, dub bands. And it's like, yeah, we all have our crosses to bear when it comes to the, the workforce. That's the whole point. It, like I saw this article, this black woman was saying, I can't be myself at work. I can't be like ghetto. I have to sort of change my accent. Yeah, I'm not swearing right now on InfoWars. You want to show people that you, you're, you're taking this seriously. And we're living in an era right now where a massive swath of the population is not taking anything seriously. It's like... They're not participating. You know what I mean? Like, say you had a Halloween party and someone just shows up in sweatpants and a T-shirt. That's not the end of the world. You know, you're not going to jail, but it's like, dude, we're all doing a thing here. Can you not participate? You're, you're not joining the club. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think it's um, maybe it's correlated with uh, the increased cultural position 
that the individual is not responsible for the outcome of their life, right? So there's this increased push that your life and your experiences and your circumstances are a result of the environment in which you're brought up in, right? So like inequality or socioeconomic status, all a result of the patriarchy or this or systemic racism or whatever, right? And if you're not responsible for the outcome in your life, then why wear a suit, right? Yeah, why bother doing anything? I mean, this is this is true of, of all sort of lower middle class, blue collar people, uh, poor people, but it's especially bad in the black community where they've been brainwashed, especially since the since Obama, um, to think that if you have a normal name like Michelle and not Daquan, or you try, or you get involved, or you read books and you get good grades in school, you're a sellout. You're an Uncle Tom. It's no fun. And you're a real loser if you do that, because even if you you know graduate with an accounting degree, no one's going to hire you because we live in a systemic racist society. And that is a, just a really crippling thing to do to someone. And I, I mean, if you're the head of the KKK, you'd push that because you debilitate that entire group and, and hammer them off into obscurity. You, you, I always feel like George Costanza these days where I'm like, we're living in a society. <laughs> As people butt in line to get off the plane and show up in their PJs and start yelling across the deli for a BLT. I'm getting mad just talking about it. We should start a lobbying firm that specifically represents dry cleaners and just change the whole culture to wear a suit. <laughs> well, my my son doesn't understand why I won't let him buy Crocs. And I just keep saying, what if someone slaps your girl? You know, that's what I say to all flip-flops, Crocs. A man has to be poised at all times to fight. And not just your girl. What if you're on the subway and some woman is getting slapped around? You're going to waddle over in your sweatpants and your, your flip-flops and save the day? That's a great point. <laughs> we'll do uh, more on uh, cultural Marxism in the next segment. Stay tuned, stick with us, and make sure to visit InfoWarsStore.com, and we'll be right back. you you have quite a prolific and eclectic career background what is something that you know now that you wish you would have known as a young man beginning his career hmm, that's a tough one i mean the reason that i've had this prolific career is i keep getting fired <laughs> so i have to keep trying everything I, and i say that to my kids when they want to give up i say mckinnis's don't quit we get fired <laughs> <laughs> what was the but first like job I've you were fired from? Uh, Sunny's gas station in Canada, Ontario. I was 13, and no one showed up for the second shift. I had to do two shifts, so I was there 16 hours. And on the timesheet, I wrote, I wrote uh, 16 effing hours. And they were like, you're gone. No swearing on the timesheet. <laughs> wow. But, uh, yeah, I... I you know, one great thing about this nation is, and it sort of goes back to what I was saying about crippling someone by telling them that the world will never allow them and they'll never get a job no matter how hard they try. And all that BS about how visible minorities have to work twice as hard as the white man because he has white privilege and all that crap. 
The beauty of this country is bust your ass and you will win. You will become a millionaire. Like Howard Stern has a terrible voice. He messes with it now with bass, but he used to have this much more nasally voice. Uh, he, he wanted to do something that no one else has done, like whack pack weirdo radio that's really edgy and, and racist and, and shocking. And that's, there's no, there was no market for that. But the reason Howard Stern won is he just did it for whatever we're at now, 50 years, 40 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like Ben Shapiro, but his voice is the, it sounds like a chipmunk, sure. but because he's smart and he hustles, he gets, he, he's got a career. Ira Glass, one of the worst voices in American history, but because he busted his ass and you don't have to be an intellectual, you know, if you bust your ass in, in a trade and you keep, you work on weekends, you're available on call, you're a plumber and you're, you're willing to go somewhere Sunday morning at 8am to fix a problem. Uh, You'll start making serious money. So the thing, even me, I've been banned, censored. You can't put my picture on on Instagram. You can't DM the name of my website. If if you're photographed next to me, you'll get fired, whether you knew it was happening or not. And I still am. I'm making more money this year than I've made, I think, ever before, because I just keep hustling. I keep pounding the pavement and doing it. And that's. That's the beauty of this country, and that's something we have to convey to our young people, that you just got to try. Mm -hmm. You just got to show up. Well, congratulations on that success this year. Thanks. Uh, um, I want to ask, how far do you think America is away from the American dream being possible, or being impossible, rather? How many more well, bad decisions can we make before it's impossible? We're in a really serious slump. I mean, we're literally in a recession right now, right? We've had two negative uh, quarters. That's the definition, despite what the nerds at Wikipedia are trying to erase. Uh, so this is a particularly bad time. And earlier when I'm talking about you just got to work hard and you can make it, yes. But um, this is uh, the calm before the, the storm. Wait, that, that's a bad thing. This is the, the, the trough before the peak. I really mm -hmm. am optimistic about the midterms. I'm optimistic about 2024. Um, but yeah, if you just got onto the job market now, I think you'd be pretty disappointed with the way things are. But that just, you just got to ride through it. I mean, if you invested money right before the Great Depression and you waited 10 years, you will have made a profit. We bounce back from these things. So I am really optimistic about it. Now, as far as culturally goes, you see all this women's sports getting destro destroyed and trannies and uh, wrecking everything and gender non-existing and kids getting told that they're not male or female. Uh, yes, that is a thing, but it's grossly exaggerated. Mm -hmm. The American conversation right now is, is largely Twitter. The amount of radicals that are using Twitter, we're, we're finding out now that it's mostly bots and they lied about their numbers. I think it's one to two million weirdos defining this entire country's ethos. And it's, it's not accurate. I mean, go outside, talk to people, go to a bar. Even the liberals I meet in, in Westchester, in suburban New York, I talk to them. Most of them are pretty sane. They just, they hate mean tweets and they hate Trump, but they understand that taxes are way too high and, and you know, we need, to, we need to restore this nation. They get that. We just disagree on economic semantics. But if you look at the media or you look at TikTok or Twitter or social media, you'd think we lost this country long ago. They don't represent us.
Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I live in Austin, Texas, which is sort of the leftist city in Texas, right? And you would think on Twitter that, you know, based on the vitriol from the left that I get on, on my content, that basically half the country has the most radical, the most radically opposite opinions of me. I consider myself fairly radical right wing. And when I go out to eat at like a Torchies or whatever in Austin, Texas, there's usually only like one loser out of 50 people there actually wearing a mask. So based on Twitter, I would think it would be like half or most people because I'm in Austin, yeah, Texas. Especially Austin, yeah. Yeah, but then I go out and like nobody is. So that, I think your point is is well received there that the vast majority of people are are much more moderate than what you see in terms of social media content. Yeah, I've walked around Austin with Alex Jones. We went uh, went out and got a steak dinner with him. You'd think, all right, this is Satan in the belly of the beast. And people were, hi, how you doing? Waitress was happy to see him. A couple people came over, shook his hand. We love what you're doing. Even Seattle. Like, like when you think of Seattle, you think of Antifa. In Portland, you think of anarchy. I was there recently and in Tacoma, which is just as bad if you watch the news. There was like a huge cowboy contingent where they're riding the bull. I go to this bar. There's like black guys in cowboy hats and they're doing all the dipsy do little jamboree stuff, the honky donk dances. And they all know it. I don't mean like they're sort of dancing. I mean, they're all in unison, like, and I skip to my loo and I waddle while I do and I do fada loo do do. And I'm like this, how, who's voting for these lunatics like Ted Wheeler when I walk around your town and I see a bunch of cowboys. So we really are, there's two Americas, but we are the vast majority. And these Bolsheviks, and by the way, the literal Bolsheviks did this too. They pretended they were the majority. They were not. This tiny sliver of Bolsheviks are defining our country and making us think we lost it. We didn't. It's still there. There's just the, the tyranny of the, of the minority. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I don't mean visible minority. Right. I understand. But I think, and I think there's, there's a tendency for people to think the entire world is like their environment. So I think city people often think that like that the cities are all that matter or that city is like the only experience. Right. And then small town people sort of think that small town experience is the only experience. And I I just think that's incredibly ignorant because, you know, I've lived in several different cities in the United States. I've driven across the whole country. There's a lot of different stuff going on. There are a lot of different cultures and people and environments and ways of living and there's different ways that people grow up. This is actually a really diverse country. I don't mean diverse in the woke sense, but just diverse in terms of life experience, right? And and I, I think that we we make the mistake of of assuming that everyone sort of agrees with 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 us just generally speaking, though I do think that you're right that most people are not crazy leftist woke. Right. And I I blame social media for this. Because you block people, you ban people, and you get more and more into this bubble where you think that these, it, it's almost like the Balkans, you know, where they had the, the Serbs and the, the, the Croats. Is that what it was? Croatians and the Serbs? I was, that's the most confusing war in the history of war, by the way. <laughs> the Muslim Serbs and the Christian Bosnians. Yeah, the Bosnians and the Serbs. Anyway. These people were separated by mountains for hundreds of years, and they started to get these bizarre opinions of the other group because it was like out of sight, out of mind. And then when they finally got together, it was a, a war because you were meeting these evil, non-human creatures. And that's what social media has done to us is we block all of these people. And the right does it too. The right blocks the left, though my experience is they're much more open-minded. And then 
once they're out of sight, now you can villainize these people and dehumanize them. And now mm -hmm. we're science deniers and we want your kids to die. Uh, and we don't believe in any vaccines in any circumstance. And, you know, we, we want slavery back. That's what make America great again means. And all of these other brutal misinterpretations of what we want. And then you just have families going, I'm not speaking to my brother anymore. You're yeah. not invited to Thanksgiving. And that is the real tragedy here is that this national divorce, because it's not based on truth. I mean, I understand a couple getting divorced if the wife is constantly cheating on him and she's a crackhead, but this isn't it. It's someone was told that she's cheating and she's a crackhead, but she isn't. So all of these differences are reconcilable, but social media has tricked us into making them irreconcilable. Yeah. Well, Gavin, it was an honor and a pleasure to have you on the American Journal today. Everybody, make sure to check him out at censored.tv. He's on Getter oh, as check well. Check out our comedy shows, too. We're doing totally uncensored comedy. We just did it in Orlando. We're doing it in Dallas, and uh, we're doing... The globalist Great Reset, or the war for the world, is here. But humanity is not being caught flat-footed because of InfoWars and because of your support. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now more important than ever as we reach the critical heart of the battle that you spread the word and that you support liberty and that you warn people like you've never done before. We have come so far together. Please help keep us on the air. We're under massive attack right now, but we're gonna win with your help. We're gonna overcome this with your help and with God's blessing. Please go to InfoWarsTore.com and get this book. Many, many, many years of research have gone into this. The Great Reset and the War for the World available right now at InfoWarsTore.com. There's also signed copies available as well. We got a lot of other big projects we're working on that are about to start launching as well, but this is the cavalry because we need the funding and you need this book because it warns the world of the globalist plan. Get the Great Reset at InfoWarsTore.com. It is surreal to actually be living inside the New World Order. It is bizarre to read all their white papers and battle plans from 50, 60, 70 years ago, and now to see it all being implemented. What's truly horrifying is we know what their battle plans call for in the next phase, a 90% forced depopulation of the planet. They have recruited an army of control freaks and pedophiles and scum and criminals of every sort to build their new world order army. They have the big private central banks and they're funding, they have the corporate media, they have most of the courts, but they don't have our hearts, our minds, and they don't have control of your soul. If we simply realize that God is the answer, reach out to God to give us discernment, to lead God and direct us, we are unstoppable together. Now InfoWars is under unprecedented globalist attack. I'm quite frankly proud of it, even though it's very daunting, but I know I have the living God inside my soul. I have the power of the overcomer inside of me, and so do you, and we're going to win this if we just continue to resist the tyrants, not because we hate these evil people, but because we love our children and we love the innocents that are counting on us to stand up and speak out and fight back. Now, the cavalry's here. So many of our best-selling products have been sold out. They've all come back in the last few weeks, and it's bringing in funding that was absolutely essential at this point. So it's a 360 win. Get great products, do amazing things for your immune system, for inflammation, and so much more all at InfoWarStore.com. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, back in stock. All three of our toothpaste, back in stock. Super Blue, finally, back in stock, the original. 
50% off when you get all three together, 40% off when you get them individually. Then Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, again for your immune system and inflammation, it's back in stock. And our latest product, Diet Force, with all natural enzymes and ingredients that help speed up your metabolism and help you lose weight naturally. Get them all today at InfoWarStore.com. I want to thank you all for your support. God bless. It is surreal to actually be living inside the New World Order. It is bizarre to read all their white papers and battle plans from 50, 60, 70 years ago and now to see it all being implemented. What's truly horrifying is we know what their battle plans call for in the next phase, a 90% forced depopulation of the planet. They have recruited an army of control freaks and pedophiles and scum and criminals of every sort to build their New World Order army. And they have the big private central banks and they're funding, they have the corporate media, they have most of the courts, but they don't have our hearts, our minds, and they don't have control of your soul. If we simply realize that God is the answer, reach out to God to give us discernment, to lead God and direct us, we are unstoppable together. Now InfoWars is under unprecedented global attack. I'm quite frankly proud of it, even though it's very daunting, but I know I have the living God inside my soul. I have the power of the overcomer inside of me, and so do you, and we're going to win this if we just continue to resist the tyrants, not because we hate these evil people, but because we love our children and we love the innocents that are counting on us to stand up and speak out and fight back. Now, the Cavalry's here. So many of our best-selling products have been sold out. They've all come back in the last few weeks, and it's bringing in funding that was absolutely essential at this point. So it's a 360 win. Get great products, do amazing things for your immune system, for inflammation, and so much more all at InfoWarStore.com. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, back in stock. All three of our toothpaste, back in stock. Super Blue, finally, back in stock, the original. 50% off when you get all three together, 40% off when you get them individually. Then Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, again, for your immune system and inflammation, it's back in stock. And our latest product, Diet Force, with all natural enzymes and ingredients that help speed up your metabolism and help you lose weight naturally. Get them all today at InfoWarStore.com. I want to thank you all for your support. God bless.